A lot of us love sound, or at least sounds put together as music. And we all have songs and sounds we love and ones we hate. Sometimes it's the lyrics of the song or the personality of the singer that can really make us love or hate a song. But is there more to it than that? It's distortion. It's distortion. That's Stephen Kerpus, an audio engineer who's been involved with everything from punk bands to recording audiobooks. Now, I thought I knew what distortion was. It's that loud, rough noise guitars make in rock bands. But as it turns out, there's more to making something sound good than just loud guitars. To help me understand distortion, I visited Stephen in his studio in Brooklyn, New York. Stephen and I settle into a small recording studio packed with instruments and equipment. The space is designed to make good sounds. But Stephen explains that good doesn't mean clear and perfect. Distortion is a unfairly maligned, dirty word. But distortion literally makes everything kind of aesthetically interesting that we hear in audio. I don't mean like obvious distortion, like, you know, hearing someone sing into a blown out microphone. I just mean really subtle things that can make sounds slightly larger, slightly fatter. That's a very interesting concept you mentioned. And this is Tae Hong Park, a music technology and composition professor at NYU. He says distortion works because as listeners, we don't like things to sound too perfect. Humans don't like perfection. It's kind of funny how that works out. It's all about the errors that happen. And they have to happen in a meaningful way for it to be beautiful. It's not random. But it's certainly not perfect, because a sign tone does not sound very musical. A sign tone? That's a single, pure note with no distortion. Sound, of course, is a vibration of the air, and that causes your eardrum to vibrate. That back and forth of sound isn't really easy to imagine. So let's think of it as a wave, a line going up and down, up and down. To change the sound, you can simply chop off the rounded tops and bottoms of that sound wave, Tay explains. This process is called clipping. It converts the nice, smooth, round wave into something more square-shaped. And that is distortion. Here's that smooth tone again. And here's that tone with the top and bottom cut off. According to Tay, this clipping technique creates additional sound, or harmonics, caused by overlapping sound waves. And that's what a lot of people love, that we're making it worse to make it better. So distortion is a big part of making things sound good. But it's not the only thing. Singing in the shower, just singing in the shower. I've been in here for hours, just singing in the shower. It's all about the reflections. Showers have tiles. Because you have tiles, uh, you have more reflections. Reflections of sound. At, at one point, when they all merge and become reverb, so you sort of hear an extension of your voice. And it makes you sound pretty awesome. So when we sing in the shower, the sound waves leave our mouth and then begin bouncing off the tiles all around us and eventually back to our ears. I'm singing in the shower, just singing in the shower. But in the close quarters of the shower, sound returns to our ears fast enough that it doesn't sound like an echo. Instead, it sounds like our singing continues even after we close our mouth. Listen to what happens as the reflection returns to us faster and faster. I'm singing in the shower, 
Just singing in the shower. I've been in here for hours. Just singing in the shower. The original sound and the reflection begin to blend together and make one longer sound. That's reverb, and it makes our voices sound better in the shower. In fact, these same principles of reverb and distortion are used in the music industry all the time. This is Luke Dubois, a digital media professor at NYU who also creates, composes, and studies music. He says Motown's famous sound is nothing more than trickery using those principles of reverb and distortion. What they would do is they would play the recording out of a speaker at the top of their air shaft onto a mic recorded onto a tape deck at the bottom of their air shaft, but the trick was the tapes were going too fast. And as this sped up recording traveled down the air shaft, it would reverberate, like singing in the shower. And then when they slowed it back down to normal speed, it sounded like she was in a massive church. And that was like a state secret. That was like the reverb of Motown. I'm stuck inside today. And I don't know how to spend my time when I'm missing you. For most Americans or most people, like there's a production quality that's evolved that gives every generation an understanding of like what it means to sound good. So like right now it's, you know, lots of bass, double-tracked vocals, reverb. So our idea of good sound changes over time. So the type of harmony used in a Bach piece, for example, is very different than the type of harmony used in a Duke Ellington piece. That's Matthew Goodhart. He's a musician and a music composition professor at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Duke Ellington's harmony has a lot of notes that would have been considered very dissonant in an earlier time. But by that time we get to the 1940s, it's like, oh, those extra notes actually sound really good, at least to the contemporary ears. So it's not easy to say exactly what makes something sound good. But there are common elements that tend to make music interesting, like distortion and reverb. And there are also elements that usually do not sound good like dissonant notes or high-frequency noises. But there's no hard and fast rules. If you're feeling sad, like just dim your lights and put on the Smiths and just lay on your couch and order Indian food. And, uh, if you want to f***ing turn up, go to the f***ing club, man. Bla get your most obnoxious f***ing friend you know and just blast some f***ing Luda, man, or just, you know, go nuts. It's your music. For Science Line, I'm Curtis Segarra. Thank you and enjoy the music.